Okay, we will draw our attention to our Bible study tonight and trust that you had a good prayer time. I know we'll take our prayer lists and we'll continue to pray for one another throughout the week. I'll get the prayer list with the updates sent out in the next couple of days and we can also access that prayer list on our phones or computers. But if we'll turn to the book of Judges, chapter number two, this is where we'll start tonight. We've been going through a series on godly motives, and we will have just a couple more uh, studies in this series before we will uh, move on to another series, another study. But the book of Judges, chapter number two, Judges chapter number two, and we'll look at verse number six, Judges two and verse number six. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Ares, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gash. Verse number 10, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And then verse number 11 starts this vicious cycle of the sin of Israel and God bringing judgment and the judges coming and God delivering and then Israel going back into sin and that cycle continues throughout the book of Judges until Samuel comes and then of course there is the beginning of the monarchy with Saul. And we know that the theme for the book of Judges is every man doing what is right in his own eyes. And there are descriptions in Judges of sins, obviously by the inspiration of God in a very discreet way, but yet very revealing of just how depraved man can be when he does what is right in his own eyes and ignores God and ignores his truth. But I really want us to focus on, in our series here on Godly Motives, on what we read there in verse 7, and then down in verse number 10. Verse 7, the people served the Lord, how long? All the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. But in verse 10, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And then we get to verse 11. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. The motive tonight that I want us to look at is the next generation. We've looked at the glory of the Lord, our acceptance in Christ, the call of Christ, evangelism. We've looked at several different motives. The church, truth, but also one of the motives in the Christian life among these other things that we have talked about should be the next generation. Passing down 
the truth, passing down core values to the next generation. I'm burdened for that. I know that we as a church are burdened for this. And it is a great responsibility that we must not take lightly. We see a breakdown somewhere from Joshua to the elders to where we get to verse number 11, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. What happened, it's a great legacy and testimony of Joshua, right, that the elders who served with him continued to remain faithful. But something happened in what we might call the third generation, but they knew not the works which God had done for Israel. How, how did that breakdown happen where the elders and the parents of that group did not pass down the, the works of God to the next generation? And we know that there is individual responsibility. And we know that even good godly parents who serve the Lord and are faithful and have brought the truth faithfully into their home and and raise their children well in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, there have been rebellious children who have rejected that truth and have gone their own way. And we know the truism of Proverbs 22 and verse number 5, and train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Uh, we know that that is a, a, a truism. There's, there's obviously a great truth in that proverb, but some children of their own will and their own volition. They choose to reject the truth that they have been taught and they go their own way. So this is not about uh, trying to heap on uh, parents uh, who have seen children go wayward. Uh, that's not uh, the, the point at all here. But we need to be burdened. There should be a motive for us to reach the next generation. And there are several core values. We're going to just quickly go through 10. There's an outline in the prayer bulletin, if you want to follow along with that, you can. I did not include all the scriptures in the outline, but I'm going to try to put them up on the screen as we quickly go through this by way of Bible study tonight. But first of all, in passing down the core values, the number one value that we should be passing down is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. We spent Sunday night looking at this, particularly verse 16, so I'm not going to repeat all that, but if Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, he knew, and we know, we have experienced as believers the power of God unto salvation. If it was a priority for the Apostle Paul to preach to the Jews, to the Gentiles, should that not be a priority in our home? To make sure that the gospel is a priority in our homes? I, I put it this way, it's on the screen, but we should do everything we can by the grace of God. We're never going to be perfect at this. All of us as parents are at some point guilty of being hypocrites, of not following through, of not doing everything just right. We're all guilty. Again, I don't, have, I don't want to get into all the uh, definitions of hypocrisy tonight, but the basic definition of hypocrisy is all of us some of the time. And sadly... Some people all the time. And that's where it's particularly destructive and damaging. But we all are sinners. We all have our areas and ways in which we have not uh, measured up to even what we say or, or, 
or try to uh, be faithful in, and uh, the burden is even greater for, uh, I feel in some, in some respects, not that it exempts anyone, but I feel like sometimes the burden is even greater for those who are in a preaching or teaching ministry. And we've all heard about the PKs and the DKs and the MKs, and my kids have had to grow up as a double PK. And they've had to be a pastor's kid and a principal's kid. And uh, I, I have a story I'll tell, I won't tell tonight, but I dealt with that very strongly with a kid in school one time. But uh, I, can, I can tell you that story later. But it's, it's particularly uh, a burden uh, for us to be the real deal at home and at church, at home and at work, at home and in places of recreation. I've been disappointed in pastors who come down out of the stands yelling and screaming at referees and storming on the court and the referees having to tee them up. A pastor! <laughs> I'm thinking, what are you doing? I don't care if your son is in the ball game and your son just got fouled and didn't get called for, or the referee didn't call. He has no business coming out of the stands like that, screaming with veins popping out. What kind of a testimony? But we should do everything we can by the grace of God to prepare the soil for the seed of the gospel to take root in the lives of our family members. And again, I am so thankful that the soil of the gospel, the fruit, the, excuse me, the seed of the gospel was planted in our home from earliest days. And we had family devotions and we went to church and the gospel was proclaimed. And I'm so thankful for uh, getting saved at a young age. 1 Timothy chapter number 3, 1 Timothy 3, speaks of the wives who, if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be, excuse me, likewise ye wives, being subject to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, unsaved, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Why, why did I include that as a, a reference? Because there's a wife who has an unsaved husband, whatever the circumstances are, and, and that either she got saved later or they uh, were married as an unequal union. What is the, the point there? That she has such a testimony she has such a grace about her life that she has such a gospel influence on her husband that by her pure lifestyle, her chaste conversation, she has such an influence that the gospel takes root in his life and he gets saved. We saw this firsthand at our former ministry. One of my classmates, I grew up with him and his brother, and his older brother was in the band with me and my close friend, I, I just talked to him last week. He called me just out of the blue, and we had a good, good conversation. And I remember they came to our school. Their mom was faithful at our church. They were faithful in the ministries of our church. And it wasn't until I came back on staff around the year 2003, 2004, somewhere around there, Pastor Defoe left the office one day, and he said, he, he stopped by our offices as he left. He said, pray for me. I just got a call from Mr. So-and-so. He wants me to come to his house and talk to him about the gospel. And for years, I remember watching his wife, my friend's mom, live 
godly in front of her husband. And that day, Pastor Defoe came back, came to us, and he said, this man got saved. I sat at his table. We prayed for years for this man. And we sat at, I sat at his table today, and he trusted Christ as his Savior. And that man still faithfully, faithfully serves the Lord and is even a deacon uh, at, at the church. Um, we never know. We live godly in front of our children, in front of our family members, and we pass down the gospel to the next generation. We teach it. We live it. We exemplify it. Uh, we don't be obnoxious about it and force it down their throats, though there are times where we as parents, we say, it's not your choice. We're going to church. It's not your choice. You're going to go to this teen activity, or you're going to be involved in this, or you're going to be involved in that. And I realize we as parents, we have to uh, sometimes uh, choose what hills we're going to die on, so to speak. But the point is that we're doing everything that we can by the grace of God to prepare the soil for the gospel to take root in the lives of our family members. Another core value that we must be passing down to the next generation is sound doctrine. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Paul is teaching Timothy, who Timothy is then, as the pastor, is discipling, evangelizing, and discipling, and doing the work of the ministry, and passing down sound doctrine so that that next generation can then affect the next generation. We go to Proverbs chapter number two, and we see this burden in Solomon's life. By the inspiration of God, he writes, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord." And find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth, preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. Can we pick up on Solomon's burden for the next generation? He says, My son, Receive my words, hide my commandments. He's speaking by the inspiration of God. He's speaking of sound doctrine. You see that burden all throughout, really, the entire book of Proverbs, but particularly in passages like this in Proverbs 2 and verses 1 through 9. The burden to pass down the core value of sound doctrine to the next generation. And then we need to cultivate a heart for God. We need to help cultivate that in our own life. Obviously, we need to be cultivating that heart for God, but helping our our next generation cultivate a heart for God. In the youth group, in our homes, within the ministries of our church, where we are in places, sometimes in places of recreation, where we have opportunity to influence. I've seen sports be a way in which God enables us to have particular inroads with young people. And then to teach, not win for winning's sake or winning at all costs, but truly implementing Christ-like character, win or lose. We would often talk about with uh, our children and with sports, winning with humility and losing with grace. 
So many times it becomes all about winning and it is at the cost of character. And how many times do coaches and parents blow it? As I already mentioned about the pastor that I knew who went down onto the floor, veins popping out red in the face, losing his testimony, getting teed up. How many dads lose it with their kids because of the way they act on the field or on the court or, or when, they, when their kids come off? You know, but so many ways in which we can cultivate a heart for God. Sports is just one example that comes to mind. But it really has to do with the home. When the kid comes home and complains about the teacher, and it's all the teacher's fault, and it's always the teacher's fault, right? It's never, ever, possibly the kid's fault. Never. I mean, the teacher just zeroed in. And I realize sometimes there are teachers who are overbearing and are wrong. And I've had to deal with that, where the teacher was wrong, and I've had to be in those hard meetings with the parents. And there are times where the teacher has to apologize, and I've been there when the teacher did that, with great humility. But most of the time, it's not the teacher. Most of the time, it's the child, and then the parent gets on the wrong side of things and begins to condone and make excuses for wrong behavior. And it can be tough. I remember coming home one time, and I was very upset about a certain situation. And I'll just come right out and tell you I got pushed from behind and books knocked out of my hand. And the kids kicked my books all the way down the hallway and into the bathroom. And they tore open, literally tore the spine on one of my binders. And I was so mad. And they just went on to class, and I had to pick up all my books, and I picked up my binder, and I know this is silly, but do you remember the Trapper Keepers? And I had just, my parents had just spent good money on a Trapper Keeper, and it was all torn at the spine. And I was furious. I went home, and I complained, and my, I remember my parents. They were as kind, as gracious as they could be in helping me through it. But then they ended up calling the principal, and there was a meeting at the school, and I know it had to have been a difficult thing. And eventually, somebody in that group of guys ended up paying for my new trapper keeper, and I got scowled the next few days at school. I was public enemy number one, because I had gone home and I had snitched, right? And I mean, I was hated, but I just was so angry. And I, I remember my parents had to help me through that and how to handle that. And uh, there's so many ways in which we can cultivate a heart for God. It's not just lecturing. It's also modeling. It's also helping through the hard times and working through situations and always doing what? Pointing to the Lord. Always pointing to God. Saying God can help. God can deliver. If it doesn't work out the way we want, God is still in control. God is still on his throne. And God can take care of that person. They're not going to get away with it. You know, there's so many lessons, and we could go on and on. We've already been in Proverbs 2, but that heart for God, Proverbs, excuse me, Psalm 19 and verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. May that be our prayer for the next generation, for our own children, grandchildren, those we minister to, and may it be true about our, our heart and our life that we have that heart for the Lord. We're not going to be able to finish all these tonight, and that's okay. We'll come back, Lord willing, next week and maybe do the, uh, the last five, but maybe we can get through at least four and five tonight.
But we also need to model Christian living and passing down the core values. Model Christian living. Some of this is repetitive and overlaps. But let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. In word, that's in the words that we say, the words that we write, the words that we type, <laughs> and the way we say them, and the facial expression sometimes, and the body language that comes with it, all that's part of the communication. In conversation, in our lifestyle, that has to do with our priorities and, and, and obedience and behavior. In charity, which is love, sacrificial, uh, giving of oneself in love. In spirit, has to do with attitude, has to do with outlook. Faith, that has to do with faithfulness and being faithful. And purity, of course, has to do with a chaste, pure, holy, moral character, Christ-like character, a holiness of life. We're to model that. How do we pass down these core values, biblical values? By, by modeling them. More is caught than taught, right? What happened in the early days of the book of Judges? That those elders and those who were representative of that group, how did that not get, how did the next generation not know the works of the Lord? Maybe it wasn't modeled properly. Maybe there were failures in explaining and teaching and, and making sure that there was faithfulness in those, those gatherings at the, the tabernacle. I, I don't know, but something happened. And they did not know. They were ignorant of the works of the Lord. It makes me wonder, what did they see? Was there an apathy that crept in? Was there a disregard of going through the motions? Uh, may that not be the case with us. If we're going to pass down the core biblical values to the next generation, we need to model them. And then we, we need to lovingly lead our families. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Is there a building of the house? Sure. Is there a laboring? Sure. Is there a watchman? Yes. But who do we ultimately depend on? The Lord. It's ultimately the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Safety belongs to the Lord. The, the growing of that Christian character ultimately belongs to the Lord. But we labor for that. We pray for that. We, we, we live for that in the sense that we model that. And we trust the Lord. We ask that the Lord does his work in lives. We could go to Ephesians 5.21, submitting ourselves one to another and then to the wives and submitting to their husbands and the husbands loving their wives as Christ loves the church and children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but rather raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We could go to all those verses. We know them well. But as we come to a close tonight, have you seen in the news recently, right here on Schuyler Avenue, 17 young people, 17 people arrested. A 25-year-old and a 20-year-old. There was a party, I think, Saturday night, maybe Sunday night in the Monday morning or Saturday night in the Sunday morning. Big old party over here by the Conservation Club. And there was an argument, some sort of dispute. We already know what happened last week at the Super Bowl parade. Young people involved there as well. But 17 people arrested because in this argument, somebody got a gun out and started shooting. Police are called, and of those 17, there was a list, if you've seen the article, there was a list of 18-year-olds. There was a 20-year-old and a 25-year-old, maybe a 19-year-old, and I believe it was eight, under the age of 18. 
And in one article, I believe I saw something about a 14 or a 15-year-old being involved. And again, it, it, it comes back, and I, I, get, I get so burdened for this. Where were the parents? Where were moms and dads? What 14-year-old, 15-year-old is doing at a party like that with who knows what going on and who knows what kind of people? I mean, we've talked to our children many a time, and I know they roll their eyes sometimes and get tired of us, and we've been there as parents and we've been there as kids, but sometimes we're like, who are you going with? What time are you going to get home? Who's that? Who else is going to be there? Right? You go through the whole 20 questions, and if you don't check all the boxes, you're not going, right? I mean, we have to do that. Circle Center Mall closed down. At one point, they were downtown. All this, I don't even know what goes on down there. I think they're turning it into living quarters. I don't know who would want to live in downtown Indianapolis. But anyway, that's all another point. Circle Center Mall gets all kinds of negativity because 11 o'clock at night, they have juveniles sitting around, standing around outside the doors, but nobody picked them up. 11 o'clock at night, and there's no parents, and there's scores of young people standing around at the doors, and the police get tired of being the babysitters. And so eventually Circle Center closes its doors, and now they're turning into condos, apartments, whatever. I don't know what kind of shopping and food is there. I'm thinking, where are the parents? I, I, I see it all the time. The interviews after some violent episode activity, and the parent gets in front of the microphone, oh, this would never be my child. My child would never do that. And I, and I understand there's, there are some innocent victims. I get that. But many times I wonder, where were the parents 17 hours ago, 20 hours ago, four hours ago, three hours ago? Where were they? Were they even aware of what their child was doing and where they were going and who they were with and what kind of activities were going on? Now there's a microphone in front of their face. Their child's been involved in something, arrested, maybe at the hospital, whatever, or worse. And they're crying. And I don't mean to make light of that, but I wonder, where were those parents a few years ago, several years ago, a few hours ago? Where's the accountability? Where's the leadership? We have a crisis in our, in our nation, don't we, among our youth. We have the truth. By God's grace, we can make a difference. And this is one of the motivations that we should have in the Christian life. It's how can we reach the next generation. It begins in the home, but we have opportunity right here. We have young people in our midst. We have the next generation right here in our midst that we can reach out to, we can disciple, we can help point them in the right direction. And maybe you say, I'm in that next generation. I'm in that whatever it is, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, or whatever uh, the generation is, you, you can also make the right choices and looking to the right examples. And even if you don't have the best examples, you can still choose to please the Lord. As Joshua would say near the end of his life, choose you this day whom ye will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May that be true of each and every one of us. We'll finish the 6 through 10, Lord willing, next week. But I hope this has been a help and encouragement to us tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our church family, for their faithfulness. Thank you for Kids for Truth and our deaf ministry. Pray that you will use your word in our hearts. May, Lord, we reach the next generation for Jesus Christ, for your glory. And, Lord, we pray you guide and direct the remainder of the week and all that you have given us uh, to do. Uh, Lord, may we be faithful in that and honor and obey you, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Have a great rest of the week. Look forward to being back together on Sunday.